1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to cover uh, verse 17 and the last three verses of chapter 2. And then we're going to go, uh, we're going to cover the entire chapter 3. There's only 13 verses. But it's really not going to be that long. Even though we're going to cover an entire chapter. Um, so, but basically, this is um, kind of like a love letter section from the Apostle Paul to the church. And so, he is just expressing his love for the church uh, that he had planted. And so, it's really just such a neat section just to look at the language with which he is speaking with. And so, uh, before we get into that, I, I just want to ask you a question. Have you been to a reunion of your family, a family reunion? Have you ever been to one of those? Not an awkward one, but a good one. Are there any unawkward, not awkward family reunions? There's always maybe a couple of awkward moments, but like a real good family reunion where you get together and you haven't seen each other in a long time and there's just love and, you know, going back and forth and appreciation and, 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 and care. Anybody ever experienced that? Or maybe, you know, like for us, when we get together with our extended family at Christmas, we really love it because we haven't seen each other in, in a long time. You know, the cousins and first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, great aunts and uncles. And you just there's just love and appreciation and there's been distance you come together and you pick up where you left off. So, so you've all experienced that? Well, this is kind of the language that the Apostle Paul uses here when he's describing the church, his relationship with this church in Thessalonica that he has started. And so it's, it's really, when you read it, it kind of catches you off guard. It's like, man, he, he loves them almost like it's his flesh and blood. And Paul talks like that in all of his letters to the church at Philippi, to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians. And he just, he, it's very common for Paul to speak in those type of loving ways to the people that God had called him to shepherd. And so I begin to think about that and, and, and how, you know, in churches today, um, that family language, that love language between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is becoming increasingly uncommon. And church has become, in a, in a lot of places, more of just kind of this gathering where people come and they consume something. It's, there's a product, there's a stage, and you've got instruments and musicians, and you've got preachers who preach, and, and there's lights, and there's a show, and it's exciting, and it's entertainment-driven, and people sit in the pews, and they consume, and it's great, and it's fun, and church is basically just kind of about what they get out of it and then they leave and then they come back next week for the show again and so it kind of reminds me of the story that I read as I was studying this is not a true story but there was this man who went to church and he sat through the service and when he got in the car with his wife and his kids He's complaining all the way home, complaining about the pastor, what he preached, complaining about the piano player, how she played, complaining about the lights, complaining about the air conditioner, complaining about anything you could think of, just complaining, complaining, complaining. And his 10-year-old son is sitting in the back seat, listening to his dad complain. And, he, and, and, and the boy just has his, his memory flashes before him of the offering time at service that had happened. And he remembered his dad opened his wallet and pulled out a dollar bill and put it in the offering plate as it went by, a one dollar bill. And so he's listening to his dad complain. And he says, Dad, it's really not that bad of a show for only one dollar. <laughs> and so that's kind of 
That's kind of what you have nowadays. You know, we come and we give our money and, and put on a show for me, preacher. Put on a show for me, worship team. You know, that's not what church is. And when you listen to this language of the Apostle Paul, what you see is, is a language of love and appreciation and care and concern. And that is what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. And I know it's hard. Right now, if our church was just this big, there might be 75 to 100 people here right now. Maybe 125. If we just all got together, sat in this little middle section right here, and this is all that we had at Living Word Church. We're not, we might not be able to keep the electricity's bill going, possibly. But if this is all we had, it would be a lot easier to have that personal connection in a smaller church. And so that's why some people don't like to go to larger churches because they, they miss that personal connection. And that is why it's even more of something that we have to fight for to keep in our church at Living Word Church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach this message to the whole congregation one day but i'm preaching it to you you guys get the preview i, I, I get to practice on you but I, I want the whole church to hear this we have to fight for a family feel in our church i want to tell everybody i will tell everybody in the in the in the congregation i don't know all of your names but i want to so just assume that i don't know your name and introduce yourself next time you next time you see me. You think, man, he should have my name by now. I probably don't. But I want to fight to know everyone's name, to be personal, to know you. And, and that should be the same feel that you have with your brother and sister in Christ when you come in here. Look, when we go to read this language that Paul writes with about his brothers and sisters in Christ and that love, it's just so overwhelming as I was reading it. Look at that care and concern and love. And you know what? I think that's worth fighting for. And that's what we need to have as the body of Christ. You know, because honestly, some of you come from families where you, you feel closer to your church family than you do your biological family because your biological family, they're not saved. And so the, the thing that you would have the most common with them if they were Christians, you don't have that. And so when you're, when you're at your family reunion... At Christmas and other gatherings, there's a distance and there's a wedge because because you don't have that common bond of love for Christ. But when you come to your church family, there's a bond there's, and there's a connection and that is precious and that is valuable. That's something to fight for and to and, 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 and to make a priority. So that's a priority of my heart. I feel like the Lord really laid on my heart um, a, a vision for Living Word Church of this larger church becoming a smaller church. I'm not saying I want us to lose people. I don't want people to, to leave after Pastor Renee leaves, though some will. Uh, I want people to come and to stay. I want more people to come. But I want us to fight for a small church feel. That we, we value each other. That we don't just come. We're not consuming products here. I'm not selling anything. You're not coming to pay your tithes so I can do a little dance for you. Entertain you. I don't dance very well. I don't sing very well. And so I don't have much to offer. I'm just going to explain the Bible to you the best I can. So we're not selling, we're not selling a, we're not selling a product. We're not selling a product. We are exalting Christ and we're loving each other so that we can all become mature in the faith so that we can win the lost. Right? Okay, I'm preaching my whole message right now. But, um, Let's just read. Let's read. Let's go to the text here. 
I, I just want you to read this. So just a little context before we go to the main text. In Acts chapter 17, I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to paraphrase. So Matt went over this in his introduction. The church at, Thess- at Thessalonica was birthed in, 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 in kind of a chaotic situation. Paul and Silas had went to, th- to Thessalonica and had preached. People got saved. And then there was an uproar in the community. And the church had been gathered at this man's house, uh, this, this man named Jason at, at his house. And some of these, these angry Jews showed up at Jason's house. And they said, these men who are turning the world upside down, they're here. And we need to do something about this. They need to leave. And so for fear of Paul and Silas's life, the church at Thessalonica sent them out in the middle of the night to leave town. And Paul ends up in, eventually in Athens. And this is probably where he wrote this letter. And so, so he sees God birth a church in this town. And then all of a sudden in chaos, he has to leave in, in a hurry. And so this, that's the heart behind what you're going to hear here. He's very concerned for the church. And so this, let's just read this section in 1 Thessalonians 2, starting in 17. But since we were torn away from you, this is what he's speaking of. He had to leave in the middle of the night. Brothers, for a short time... In person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we, we, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Isn't that beautiful? That is so beautiful. Paul is saying that the church, the people of God, and the work that God is doing through him in their life is his glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker. So he's saying, I was willing to be left all alone just so I could send Timothy to find out about how you're doing. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. He left them in a state of persecution. For you yourselves know that we are destined for, for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just, a, just as, as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Did you see that love there? Timothy reported that the same love that Paul had for them, they had for him. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted comforted about you through your faith for now we live if you are standing fast in in the lord for what thanksgiving can we return to god for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our god as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith now may and here's his prayer now may our god and father himself And our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Isn't that powerful? I just, I just love that picture. I, I love that, that section, that, that love language that Paul is speaking of to this church of new believers that God used him to establish there. So as I was reading this, I'm like, Lord, what, 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 should, what should I say here? What do we see here? And so I basically see three things. I, I see two attributes that the Apostle Paul is modeling for us in this section. And then I see an admonition for us. And so let's look at the two things that the Apostle Paul is modeling. The first thing is this. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And you just see that genuine love. The Apostle Paul is modeling that in his life, in his language, in the way that he's writing. And he modeled it in his life. He went through extreme difficulties for the, for the spread of the gospel. He was persecuted be, beyond anyone that, that we see witness of in scripture. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was imprisoned. And he kept going. And he kept going. And he, and he reached out for more people. And he loved the people that God had sent him to lead. And his love was genuine. His love was genuine. It really takes a change of mindset. For us as to why we gather for our love to be genuine. And I I know I talked about it earlier when I was starting out, but we have to change our mindset about why, why we gather. You know, there's reasons why we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays and there's reasons why we don't. And I talked about some of those reasons why we don't. We don't gather for entertainment. We don't gather to, to see a show and, and, and we don't primarily gather. I touched on this on Sunday. I'm not sure how many people caught it and if they thought I was crazy when I said it. But we don't gather so that I can be an evangelist or Pastor Renee can be an evangelist. That's not what the church is for. The church, the word for, that, for the word church is ecclesia. And, and it means the, the called out ones. So when we gather on Sundays and, and Wednesdays, it is a gathering of the called out ones. The ones that have been called out to faith in Jesus Christ have responded to the call of Christ. It is a place for us to come and gather as a family. That's the reason why we gather. And we gather so we can exalt Christ together. And we gather so that we can be built up in the faith, come to maturity in the faith. And so that when you leave the gathering... You can be effective witnesses for Christ. Now, do we evangelize on Sundays? Do we preach the gospel and give altar calls? Absolutely. But the primary purpose, two primary purposes of the gathering are for the exaltation of Christ with brothers and sisters and for the building up of the saints of God so that they can attain to mature manhood, to maturity in Christ. So if you don't change your mindset about why we gather and you have wrong understanding of why we gather, then it, it's foreign to you. It would be, it'll be foreign to you to think that I'm gathering for the sake of my brother and sister in Christ. You know, after the service on Sunday, whenever I made the statement, you are not dismissed yet. People still left, by the way, if you had your back turned. <laughs> people, people don't listen. But, but I said it on purpose. It was very, very intentional. And I asked Troy beforehand, I said, when you sing How Great Is Our God, Let's not get loud with it. I want to hear the voices in unison singing together 
as one body, as one family coming together and worshiping God. That is beautiful. This, that, that's what, that, that is so powerful. When we gather together as, as the called out ones, the family of God, and, and let's say, let's say your brother sitting next to you, your, your, your brother in Christ is struggling in his life. He's overwhelmed with, with sin or, or depression or he lost a loved one and he's struggling and you're next to him and you're at this moment in your life, you're filled with joy and peace and you are singing at the top of your lungs the, the wonderful works of God that are being sung in these songs and he can barely lift his voice and the music comes down and you can hear the congregation and you, do you know what happens? That brother hears a unified voice of the family of God exalting Christ, and it lifts his spirit. And I think that's a powerful moment. That's one picture of the power that's released when the family of God comes together and worships in unison and lifts our voice. You know, sometimes the the music can be almost too loud. (laughs) Tori's like freaking out back there. (laughs) But, 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 But seriously, I think there's such powerful moments when the music comes down and we're in unison and we're encouraging each other in the Lord singing off key and singing flat and, and, and messing, messing up the words, but we're in unity together exalting our God. And it brings encouragement and strength to each other as brothers and sisters. That's why we gather. That's why we gather. So if you don't have the picture correct of why we gather, then you come for all kind of crazy reasons. And people do it all the time. So, you, so then if, if you don't realize that you're here one of your main purposes is when you walk through the door is that your love would be genuine, then, then you're going to miss that opportunity. You know, I, I, as I teach the foundations class, we get to uh, one of the last lessons on the, on the local church. And I talk about the power of our volunteers. And uh, our volunteer shirts' colors keep changing, but at one point it was the ye- they were yellow so I talked about the power of the yellow shirt people and, and, and how, you know, somebody can be greeting at the front door. And if they see their role as insignificant and not really mattering much, and they don't see that they have an opportunity to let their love be genuine in the way that they open that door and they say, welcome to church. So glad you're here this morning. And they just feel like, man, I'm just insignificant. It really doesn't matter what I'm doing. Uh, you know, and they don't, they don't see the reason for the gathering then they miss opportunities every time somebody walks past them to share the love of Christ with their brother and sister and then to even share the love of Christ with somebody who is not a brother or sister yet. What a great opportunity we have. So if you get the right picture as to why we gather, what the purpose of the church is in the gathering, then it's so much easier for us to come with a view of not just ourself, but of others. The purpose of our gatherings is to glorify Christ and to see the body built up together in love. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It speaks of this. It says, I therefore, says Paul speaking, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience. He's speaking to, speaking to the church. We're to bear with one another in humility, gentleness, patience, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're eager. We come eager on Wednesdays and Sundays to, to maintain the unity of the spirit. There is one body 
One spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. Verse 15, rather speak the truth in love. When we do that, then we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ with whom the whole body joined and held together. Oh, this is so good. I love this picture. That is so good. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That means that that your position and your place in the church, when you're connected in the body, it holds me up. You are a strength in my in, in, in my life. You hold my body up. You are you are valuable. You are your your portion and your place in the body of Christ holds up somebody else's place in the body of Christ. Every it, that joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Romans 12. Here's another picture of this as to why we gather and when we gather. This is what we do. Let love. This is Romans 12. Let love be genuine. That's my first point. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What does that look like? Somebody gives you a compliment? No. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you, a, I'm gonna outdo you in showing honor. I'm gonna beat you in showing honor, right? We just, we, we're, we, 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 we take on a competition. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna honor you when I see you, gonna respect you, gonna speak good to you, I'm gonna praise you, I'm gonna lift you up because it is the joy of my heart to love my brother and sister in Christ. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's like this picture of washing, washing each other's feet. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Amen? So the first thing I see that the Apostle Paul modeled He demonstrates not only in his life, but in his language, the way he communicates is love. So we have to strive to let our love be genuine. What is it that hinders? What what, what are some hindrances to genuine love? Not not only in the body of Christ, but in our relationships, maybe in our family, with our kids, with our co-workers. What hinders genuine love? I think there's three main hindrances against genuine love in the body of Christ and then outside with our family and friends. First one is this. Our differences. Now look. I just described a lot of stuff that sounds really good. Right? But when the rubber beats the road. Our differences make it difficult. Because. Sometimes I'm going to say things that you're not going to like. And I'm the one that gets to talk a lot. <laughs> so. So. Uh, you know. I, I, this is, that's one of my challenges in this whole transition. Is I'm thinking man. The more I talk, the more possibility. It's kind of like what Pastor Renee says. Look, if I haven't offended you, give me time. I'm going to get to you. I feel the same way. I told him I'm going to adopt that phrase. Because the more I talk, the more I preach, the more I'm going to say something that you think, I just don't agree with that. So what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to get out of Dodge? <laughs> you're going to stone me? I mean, look, our differences create challenges for us, to, to, for our love to be genuine. It makes it challenging and, and difficult. But honestly... We love each other. Just sometimes our differences make it seem like we don't. But we really do. And so 
we have to learn to be patient with our differences. We have to learn to value someone else's opinion. I mean, this, this works in, in the real world, not just in church. It works in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, with your coworkers. Somebody can have an opinion, and just because their opinion is different than yours doesn't mean they're not entitled to that opinion. Sometimes my wife will look at me and she'll tell me, Ben, I have a brain, and God gave me an opinion. Your opinion's not the only opinion. And so sometimes we have to learn to do that. We have to learn to yield our way and be okay with our way not being the way that it happens in the church, in the body of Christ, in our family, in our marriage. Our differences can be big hindrances. And our differences can lead lead to the next hindrance, which is our offenses. Our differences and our offenses. We can be offended because you're different. I don't like you because you're different than me. I don't want to be around you because you think differently, because you, 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 you look different or, or, or whatever. We just get offended. We get offended so easily in the body of Christ. We get offended so easily in our families, with our friends and our coworkers and our spouse. We are easily offended people. But I believe that we need to strive to, to not be easily offended. As Pastor Renee says, we need to grow thick skin. That life's too short. You know, I preached a funeral on Monday, and one of the one of the things I say in my funeral message, my, my second point, is that because life is short, because you don't you're not promised your your next breath, you need to learn to forgive your friends and your family that hurt you. You got to learn to forgive quickly because you don't know when your next breath is. You don't want to go to your grave and have left an offended heart that will never have a chance to get reconciliation with you because you're dead. Live a life of forgiveness. Be quick to say you're sorry. Make it a competition with your spouse. I'm going to say I'm sorry before you do and be genuine. Work at that. It doesn't pay. I'm, I, I can tell you. I can, it, we, Estelle and I have been married for just over 13 years. And I can tell you the arguments. We can go over the arguments and we, we, we forget the, the details because some of them are so insignificant and so silly. And, and, and when you're done and, and, and you fought and you've waited and, and, and especially the ones that have, dra- have dragged out, you're just like, why did we do this? I remember one night, I'm doing the dishes, it's like midnight, one in the morning, and our arguments are normally pretty quick. But this one had lingered on for a couple of days, just would not go away. And it was kind of around the time before the announcement and this was super stressful. I was just kind of like, when's Pastor Nate ever going to do this? And just was really stressful. I'm just let, letting you in my mind here. And it just was just stressful. And so we were fighting. I don't even know what it was about. It was about money, probably. Yeah, it's about money. It tends to be one of the things on all marriages. And I'm just doing dishes, cleaning the kitchen. Because the kitchen was a mess because we were fighting. And I have my Bose noise-canceling headphones on, doing the dishes. And there's this Need to Breathe song. And if you listen to Christian radio, you've heard the song. It's called Hard Love. And the first line of the song, I won't sing it for you, but it goes, it says, trading punches with the heart of darkness. And when he said it, it's like it pierced my heart. And I realized I'm trading punches with the heart of darkness right now. This is a spiritual battle. And I got to win this. And I just said, devil, I don't pray to you very often or at all, but I'm going to talk to you right now. And you need to leave my marriage alone. And you need to get out of this house and out of my mind and out of my marriage. And I just kind of came against all of that. And, and, and then, and then we, we got a breakthrough and we came together and, and we, we smoothed it out. 
But sometimes it's like you're trading punches with the heart of darkness to let your love be genuine, to genuinely forgive the offenses. It's not worth it. One of the third hindrances that flows kind of like the mother of all hindrances is our pride. Our differences, our offenses, and our pride. If you, if you have pride in your heart, if you're dealing with pride in your heart in any area, it's going to be difficult for you to ever love anyone genuine. Because everything's, somebody who's proud, everything is filtered through their world. Listen, listen carefully. A proud person, every situation they look at, they see it through their lens. And they refuse to see it through someone else's All they see is their world. Until the pride is crushed, you you won't be able to love genuinely. You've got to be able to let go of pride. On Sunday, we're going to cover the parable of the tax collector and, and the sinner going to the temple to pray. And the last section of Luke 18 says, He who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility and pride cannot dwell together. If you want to have reconciliation in your marriage, in your friendships with your brother and sister in Christ, you must lead with humility. When we come with humble hearts in the family of God, and it's not about my needs, it's not about me getting anything from, 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 from church, from the pastor, from anyone else, I am coming humbly, God, to worship you and to serve others. When you come in a position of humility then your love can be genuine and real and true. And you can genuinely look at a brother and sister in Christ and tell them, I love you and I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? Amen? Let love be genuine. Secondly, second thing I see modeled in the Apostle Paul is this, is is let prayer be sincere. Let prayer be sincere. And do you remember at the end of that section that we read, he was praying there at the end. He modeled prayer as we pray most earnestly night and day. Listen to that right there. Listen to what he's saying. As we pray earnestly night and day, night and day, earnest prayer. He's praying for his brothers and sisters in in Christ. I mean, that's convicting. As I was reading, I'm like, Lord, that is so convicting for me. I'll pray night and day for my kid, for my loved one with cancer or for the situation I'm dealing with. But he's praying. He has such a love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He is praying night and day for them because he's concerned for them. Genuine, sincere prayer. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. What he's saying there is he wants to be a support in the in their life of faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. He's praying for these people that He loves, that they would be established, their hearts blameless in holiness before our God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it, it, it is hard to not love someone you consistently pray for. If you ever, I just want to give you a little uh, bit of advice when you have an, an enemy. Pray for him. You know, I, I, there was a situation that we were dealing with, Estelle and I, just a couple of weeks back. 
and it was difficult and it was concerning a particular person. And Estelle said, you need to pray for him. <laughs> I didn't want to pray for him. So when we got together to pray one morning, she prayed for him. She, she started the prayer for him. And so then I agreed in prayer. <laughs> and the Lord helped me with that. But I'm telling you, it's hard not to love somebody when you consistently pray for them. Let's pray for each other. Let's genuinely pray for each other. Let's pray for our church, for the health of our church, for the life of our church, for the, so that we would be effective, so that we would be mature in the faith, so that we would not be tripped up by the same silly sins that we continue to be tripped up in. Let's genuinely pray for one another. When you pray for somebody, you grow in love for them. Ephesians 1.6, this is the Apostle Paul encouraging us to pray and showing how he prays. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. That's so good. I love that. I love that language, that picture there. He's thanking God for them. He's remembering them. He's praying for them and he's doing it with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Man, that, my joy box is like about to burst right now. That is so good. Why, why is it that there's such a connection with us? It's right there. Because of the gospel. We, we don't, look, we have differences. We get offended with each other and, and, and all of those, all those hindrances that we talked about. But what is it beyond all of that that is the common bond that brings us together? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what is the glue that keeps us together. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philemon, Paul continues, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It's so powerful. For I have derived much joy. Again, it's joy. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Lord, help us. Help us to live that out. First Thessalonians is the, the, the beginning of our study. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Such a picture of prayer. I, I, I looked up, I found all the prayers of the Apostle Paul. I found a list of all of them. And I, I showed Chuck... <laughs> Uh, earlier today I said, man, do you think maybe we could print all these and give them out to the people? It's really not going to be that many people here tonight. Then we looked at it, it would be like four pages. <laughs> so we had to make a ton of copies. But, but we're, uh, we're going to eventually do that. We're, we're going to print up all the prayers of the Apostle Paul. They are so good. And so I'll preach this message sometime in the future. And, and we're, we're going to give out all these prayers. It's just it's such great prayers to pray for each other and for yourself and for your family. Paul, Paul the Apostle prayed. He modeled Genuine, sincere prayer. So the two things I see that he modeled was genuine love and sincere prayer. And he modeled that for us. That we would love each other and that it would be genuine and that we would pray for one another and that we would lay down our differences, our, our, our offenses and our pride and that we would grow together in love. 
So those are the two things he modeled. And, and lastly, in conclusion, uh, my, my, my admonition is this, that we need to fight for this. We have to fight for it. Just like I had to fight for my marriage in prayer, we're trading, I was trading punches with the heart of darkness. We're trading punches with the heart of darkness. The devil is real. He's not a fairy tale. He doesn't have a pitchfork with a little tail. He's real. And he wants to hinder the gospel. Let's look back to what Paul said earlier as we read this. This is verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered us. And if you look in chapter 3, verse 5, we read this. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, who is Satan, had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We have to fight for this, for this unity, for this love, for this sincere faith, for the prayer for one another. We have to fight for what God is building at Living Word Church in Homa, Louisiana, in Terrebonne, in Lafouche, in the surrounding areas. We have to fight for that unity, fight for that love. Because when there is unity, when there is unity in the church, there is exponential power released for the gospel. When a church is fragmented and in disunity and there's strife and there's bitterness and there's, and, 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 and there's arguing and there's fighting, there's infighting, there's disagreement, there's people who say, I'm not going to follow you, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do this. When that is going on, that is a hindrance from the enemy and he is winning victory in his church. But if we're going to be effective for the gospel in our world, in our life, on our jobs, in our family, it starts in here. It starts in our church, in our family, in our church family, in the ecclesia, in the church, in the called out ones, with the called out ones. To fight for it. You know, the name Satan, his name means adversary. Satan has a continual mission as our adversary of tearing down the church. That Christ has promised to build. You know, I, I don't believe the sat- that Satan spends his time primarily dealing with and hindering non-believers. Because he has them where he wants them. They're in, the, they're, in the, they're in darkness. I think he spends his primary time with us. Because he knows what we hold inside of us. He knows that you have the gospel. You have the message that can set the captives free. You have the message that can shine light into the dark heart of somebody that is bound by sin and addiction and is enslaved to sin. And if he can hinder you and get you off track, then he's effective. And he feels like he's winning victories. You know, Satan, you see a picture of Satan throughout the the church in the New Testament. In, In Acts 5, Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? In the church, Satan was influencing somebody in the church to lie to the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 2, Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He's he's trying to bring hindrance through persecution in the church. In Revelation 2, again, Jesus tells the church at Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Listen to this. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Listen to that language. Let's let's read that again. 
Jesus tells the church at Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, I know that you dwell in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the battle. But he says, yet you hold fast to my name. Even though you're in the middle of the battle, Satan's trying to hinder you. You're you're holding fast to my name. You're holding fast to my name and you have not denied my faith. Second Corinthians two, it says the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth. He says he says that he does not want them to be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his plans or of his schemes. Satan seeks to outwit us as Christians, get us sidetracked, get us distracted in so many different ways, confuses us as to why we are a church. What are we doing? Why are we here? Why do we gather? What is our purpose? Gets us confused, gets us off target, gets us off track. And we forget why we are who we are, what God has called us to. But here's our hope. First Peter five, eight through 11. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary. That's what his name means. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him firm in the faith. You don't have to give in. To the temptation of the enemy. I just want to say that for those of you that are struggling with sin. You don't have to give in to the temptation to sin. You can resist the enemy. And and you resist the enemy by standing firm in your faith. I think sometimes so many people trade punches with the heart of darkness. And they're fighting with the devil. But they're fighting the wrong way. They're not standing firm in the truth. That's how you fight the battle. Some of you are fighting apart from the truth. Apart from the truth of God's word and you're just, you're just, you're just punching away and you're shadow boxing and you're, and you're just wearing yourself out fighting the wrong battle. We, we fight the battle by standing firm in the truth. That's how you win the victory. You guys with me? You win the victory through the truth of God's word. You stand firm in the truth. And so when you stand firm in the truth, you're not outwitted by Satan. When he comes and places stuff in front of you, images that you shouldn't look at, in lustful ways, you say, you know what? Satan, I'm not outwitted by you. I know what your scheme is. I'm not going to be fooled this time. Places temptations in front of you. You stand on the truth. And that's how you fight the battle. Resist him by standing firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, isn't that so beautiful? Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen? To him be the dominion forever and ever. Christ himself, when you have fought the good fight, you stand firm in your faith, you stood on the truth, you've traded punches with the heart of darkness, and you have won victory in Christ. Himself, Christ will strengthen you, restore, confirm, and establish you. That's, that's, that's the promise. So whenever we set it as our goal, as our objective, and our aim as a body of Christ, to let love be genuine, to pray for one another, when we fight for that, the enemy is going to come against us. He's going to attack us. Because he knows that if we do that, it's like waking a sleeping giant. And I, 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 I tell you what, I am... I'm excited about the future of Living Word Church. Our church, our church is not going to shrink. It's going to grow. 
Our church is not going to shrivel up. It's going, it, it's going to be effective for the gospel. It's not going to grow because of a great preacher. It's not going to grow because of great worship. It's not going to grow because of any other reason, but because the power of the gospel is real and it's true and we're going to proclaim it and it's going to be true in your life. And the world's going to know that God is real because of the love you have for one another. Because that love is genuine. Amen. Amen. Father, I, I, I pray that this would be true in me. Be true in my heart. Lord, let me live out what I preach. Let me not be a hypocrite. Lord, let me live what your word says. That I would love your, your people the way the Apostle Paul has modeled God, that we would love each other the way your word calls us to love each other. God, as we genuinely love each other, as we sincerely pray for each other, as we fight for that, because it is a fight that is worth fighting, as we fight for that, God, may we grow in the faith. May we encourage each other. May we, may we mature and grow and become effective witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this is, will be true of us and true of our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.